feel a good spirit here tonight. Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, we're going to be reading verses 30 through 32. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity. Father, thank you for the spirit we can feel. Uh, i got to be honest, I, I love Sunday morning, but uh, I don't know what I'd do without Sunday night. And Father, I've said it before and I've said it a thousand times. If I'm the only one in here, uh, Father, it's enough to have church. And because uh, we're two or more gathered in your name, uh, you are in the midst. So, Father, it's not about numbers. It's, Father, who's in the center of this church service. Father, we want to put you right here in the forefront uh, where you belong. Uh, Father, we give you right away tonight through your Holy Spirit uh, that you could... Uh, minister to us. As Martha said, Father, we just want to see something happen tonight, and I believe you can do something wonderful. I don't believe it has to be revival. I don't believe it has to be a special service. Father, I believe you can meet with us and meet our needs each and every time we gather together. Father, you know the needs of the hour. You know the conditions of every heart tonight. Uh, we don't, but we're just going to preach with an unction of the Holy Spirit that uh, would go forth, and Father, with an expectation that it will not return void. And Father, as little Keaton said, Father, we just pray that those who would find Jesus and let him heal them. Father, we ask you to do that tonight. In your son's name we pray. And amen. amen. Acts chapter 5, starting at verse 30. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on, and I want to focus on that one word tonight, a tree. On a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. You should be thankful tonight that you're not a part of my family. <laughs> because I don't have to use your family or your situations for every sermon that I ever preach. <laughs> the reality is, for the last few months... Uh, during the summer, me and the kids put an 8 by 8 garden in the backyard. We'd never had one before. Uh, it's the first time I've ever had a garden, dealt with a garden. I uh, learned a lot this year, <laughs> and it really does take time. The kids wanted a garden. They were gung-ho about it for the first week, and then they realized it took a little, actual little work, and they were done with it. Didn't want anything to do with it. Well, sure enough, come wintertime, I said, let's just take it all down, till it up, and we'll, because it had kind of grown over, we'd kind of wasted away. We pulled some zucchini and a couple other things, and it kind of wasted away, and time got away from us. And man, it doesn't take long before it just overtakes it. I said, well, we'll just dig it up, and we'll start again next spring. We'll just till it up, get everything out of it. Well, daggone it. Every time Gardner prays, and he's been really vocal about his prayers at both dinner time and going to bed. He'll pray for all of us, pray for all of our family, our church family, everything that normal kids pray for, and then he finishes. No joke. Every time he says, and I want to pray for the garden and Jesus. And I'll say, and the kids will like open one eye when they're praying, and they'll say, and they'll literally get to a point because every he doesn't miss it. He says, and the garden and Jesus. And I and the kids said, for crying out loud, let go of the garden. That's what they say. The garden's done, it's over. But he won't stop. He prays for the garden every night. And I was out there this morning. We woke up, got ready for church, and we let the dogs out back, and they can do about their business out back. And that garden is out there, and I'm telling you, we got a few inches of snow. And you can just see what was once a garden. 
And it is just, it is, you know, winter is taking hold and there's not much to it anymore and the, the wood's there, but there's not much to that garden. And I kept, I asked myself this morning and I, and I had to write it down real quick because the Lord was dealing with you in the message on it. What is it about that garden that he, that he sees that I don't see? Because all I see is what once was, but it is no longer. But he has such an expectation and I, and I even wrote about it. What is it about the garden that he's so fixated on? Why, why is he trying to bring up my failures of a, as a gardener? What does he wish that it could be in his mind? What does he see that I don't see? And the Lord brought me to Proverbs chapter 24. I want to talk about Acts chapter 5. We're going to get there in a minute because of this, this tree in which God hung on. Because we th- see throughout scriptures in the beginning in Genesis, there was a garden. And then we see and a garden and a tree. And then we see in Revelation, there is this garden and this tree of life as well. And in the midst of both of it, we see Acts chapter 5 where this one more tree. I love how they, they use the rugged cross and... They talk about you know the cross and the crucifixion, but I love in Acts chapter five verse thirty because he says they hung him on a tree. They hung him on a tree. But Proverbs chapter twenty four, Solomon says this in verse thirty through four. I went by the field of the slothful, and you think my family feels bad for me using them as a sermon illustration, but God just says, Brad, this is about you. This is about what your garden should look like. And the expectation of our spiritual condition. My garden spiritually should not resemble the garden which I walked out back this morning. Covered over with snow. No fruit produced. Weeds and vines and and, and just not taken care of like it should be. That should not be my spiritual garden. My spiritual garden in winter and summer and spring and fall should look the same constantly. But what I see in Proverbs chapter 24 is a field of the slothful. The ones who do not take time to, to men to tend to their garden. I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns. And nettles had covered the face thereof. And the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. When I walked out on the deck this morning, it was all that I... All those times Gardner had prayed for that garden, and every time me or the children or Megan had said, enough about the garden. Enough about it. We don't want to hear about the garden anymore. There is no garden. But the gardener, there was something to be discussed. And we see Solomon, he says, and I saw and I considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and they thy want as an armed man. See, God wants nothing more for us to produce fruit, to have a garden for him. You see, in the beginning, we see in both Genesis 2 and 9 and Genesis 3 and 3, God, God's speaking of this garden in which he placed in the middle of earth at this time. He says it in Genesis 2 and 9. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then Genesis 3 and 3. But the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, 
Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch, lest ye die. So we see in the beginning of the creation story, when God stepped back and all things were good, and even man was good, he placed Adam and Eve in the garden to keep it and attend to it. And that was man's role, and it has not changed. But because of the fall of man, we have been casted out, thankfully, for that one tree that matched in the midst of the other trees, because we see that God now gives us passage through his son Jesus Christ, through his blood and amazing grace, Revelation 22 and 14, blessed are they that do his commandments, that they have right, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter into the gates into the city. Well, we were casted out. Remember the flaming cherubims? It casted Adam and Eve out because of their disobedience, because of the fall of man. But because of Jesus Christ, we can enter back into that garden one day. Now just a glimpse of it as a preparation of it. But one day all things are going to be good again. He's going to do it. Proverbs 11 and 30 says this. The fruit of the righteous is the tree of life. The fruit of the righteous is the tree of life. And he that winneth souls is wise. God's not changed one bit. And he still wants us to produce a garden. But my gosh, in my life, I, I, I find myself more looking like uh, the, the vineyard of the slothful spiritually. When I, when I walked out on that deck, I said, God, if this is what you see, then clean me up. I got to fix it. Heaven forbid my spiritual garden look like this thing that used to be something. Surely there's something more. And maybe I need to get back to not forgetting to pray for my garden. Say, God, I want to remember my garden. I want you to see what I can produce for you. And I can't do it without him, not one bit. But we see in John 17, he says something beautiful too. Jesus Christ, once again, we read in Acts chapter 5. It was his provision that he took the he took it all. He hung on the tree that we may grow again something that might be pleasing to the sight of God. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. There is no garden that can be produced for God outside of one that is produced by faith. That is what God is looking for. John chapter 17, Jesus spoke these words and lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And look at this. I forgot this verse was even in here. Shame on me. Verse 3, and this is life eternal. Ask yourself, what did God come to do? What did Jesus come to do? Oh, he came to save sinners. He came to forgive, to pardon. What did he want you to know? He says right here, life eternal is simply this, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. That's what God came to do, to show the revelation of Jesus Christ as the one true and only God. I have glorified thee on the earth, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. I'm so thankful Jesus didn't neglect that old garden. That it says that literally his soul was so sorrowful unto death. He sweated as if there were drops of blood. You know, we run away from the garden because it, it brings up everything that we can't do. And yet he went right in on our, on our behalf. And now, O oh Father, glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had 
with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men that thou hast gave me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. They've kept thy word. They've done what needed to be done. Can't help but to go to Matthew chapter 21. I want to read this. You see, we have another chance at this old garden. <laughs> another season to grow something good for God. We talked about it this morning. Don't wait till January 1. He said the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. We can produce something good for God right now. <laughs> but every time gardener prays about that old garden, <laughs> makes me so upset. Because I don't want to put the work in. And folks, listen, he put all the work in. All he left Adam to do and it's all he left us to do is to tend and to keep it. But we get another chance of this old garden that he calls life to produce something good, purpose and meaning, to eat the fruit thereof it, to truly keep and tend and see it grow. And we've squandered it. We've let it just as that slothful vineyard. This is our only thing that we have to do in this world. Forget about anything else. Everything else in my life needs to take a back burner. My garden for God is number one. And yet I mow my grass and I take out my trash, but that old garden just sits there day after day. Well, the weeds aren't too bad. I could probably pull them in an hour and I let it go a week. I could probably take a day, but I could probably pull the weeds. And then sure enough... I'll pull the, it's a little chilly out, I got things to do, I'll pull the fruit tomorrow, and by the time I get tomorrow, it's next week, and that fruit is already soured and withered, and it's not what it once was. My garden, I need to have priority, I need to pray for my garden when it comes to spiritual things in my life. But look at chapter uh, 21 of Matthew, starting at the 33rd verse. Hear another parable, this is what Jesus says. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard. And hedged it round about, and digged a wine press in it, and built a tower, and let it out to husbandmen, and went into a far country. Look at all the effort and time that was put into that garden. Man, it just sounds beautiful. And we see in Proverbs chapter 24 that the iron had fell over and, and the walls had busted down and, and the weeds had grown over completely because this is what a slothful vineyard looks like. But we see a different look. It says this one, it literally, it says a vineyard, it was hedged around about. There was a wine press in it, so obviously he knew fruit was there. There was even a tower and it let out the husband, man, and he went into a foreign country. He said, surely they can't mess this up. I'm going to go to a far country. Surely they can't mess. I've given them everything to produce this, just to watch this vineyard. Surely they can't mess this up. Folks, how can we mess up Calvary and somehow we've done it? He's done it all for us. He's given us the keys to heaven and we've messed it up. All he said is, take a little time each day and you can produce something good. Folks, it was an eight foot by eight foot garden. It wasn't 40 acres. Surely we can take care of this and see what it can really produce. And there I walked out this morning and there's nothing. Nothing. Dried old vines and snow covered in old warped wood. That's not what I intended when I began to dig it. 
And folks, that is not what God intended when He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to make provision for your life. He expected so much more because He did the work. And when the time of the fruit drew near, folks, <laughs> our days are numbered, folks. Jesus is coming back real soon. And He's coming to see what we produced. To give a reward to every man which He doeth. And when the time of the fruit drew near, He sent His servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. And look, just like Gardner, stop talking about the garden. You bring up the garden one more time, you're grounded. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> Those are fighting words now. And sure enough, the owner of this vineyard sent out his servants to, to receive the fruit that he expected to see when he came. And look what happens. And then the husbandman took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Now this is symbolizing the prophets in the Old Testament here. Again, he sent other servants more than the first and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, they will reverence, they will reverence my son. <laughs> Folks, listen, they don't reverence Jesus Christ anymore like we ought to. They don't. We went over to my mother's house, and I'm not stepping on any toes. I'll just tell you where I'm at, spiritually. We were getting about 5.30, and I told Megan, I said, we got to get home, i got to get changed. And my dad, I had a sweatshirt on and jeans, Crocs. <laughs> My dad said, can't you just go in that? I said, well, I could. But I guess I've shot myself in the foot. Because I've created a, a reverence in my own walk that God deserves. Folks, if jeans and a t-shirt is the best you got, God bless you. God will honor it. But if you do not reverence the house of God, then folks, what are we going to reverence? He deserves our best. Whatever it is. If your shoes are falling apart and that's the best you got, folks, it's enough. But if we're holding back on what God, listen, he said, I will send my son because surely they'll reverence my son. <laughs> I wish it was the case. And look what it says here. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him. And cast him out of the vineyard. And slew him. They killed him. Folks, churches every single day. Saying, I think we can run this thing better than Jesus Christ can run it. They don't even ask to operate with the Holy Spirit running the show one bit. And Father, I'm not... <laughs> God, I'm not saying we have the recipe right. But Father, I know when I come in here that if you're not running it, we might as well pack up and go home. It's got to be the Holy Spirit. And the husband, when the son came, it says that they, they casted him out and they slew him. They said, oh, we don't need you. Don't even, don't even come look at the garden because you're not going to find any fruit here. So look what it says right here. When the Lord, therefore, of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? They say unto him, the disciples and those listening, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus saith unto them, 
Did you never read the scriptures? The stone which the builder rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. The very garden in which I neglected is Jesus Christ. He is the center. He is the tree. He is that tree of life that was from the beginning and will be at the end and is in the center. The very thing I don't want to talk about. Don't even bring up the garden. And when it comes to spiritual things, because when I looked at that garden, I really didn't care about zucchini. I didn't care about carrots and snap peas, all the things. When I looked at that garden, God said, look at your heart. How is it? Does it look like that? Or is it producing fruit? Am I in the center of it? Or have you casted me out? Say, don't even look at it. That's what happens. That's what happened in the garden. So ashamed, we run from God and we hide ourselves. We say, we don't want to, we don't want to acknowledge our inadequacies and our failures and our regrets. But the reality is, where is grace? That's what grace came to do, to give us another chance. He didn't just stop with the first garden. He said, I'll give you another chance, but I'm going to have to take this one. And he took it for us. Therefore, I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. Talking about Israel and the Gentiles. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but whosoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Folks, let me just finish by saying this. How's your garden? <laughs> Can I say I want to pray for your garden tonight? And you might say, as I say to garden, leave the garden out of it. Because I don't know about you, but it pricks my heart and it pricks my spirit. Because I believe Jesus Christ has given me so much. He has given me so much in my life. And what do I have to show for it? Am I producing the fruit that he is coming one day to receive and truly deserves I have to ask myself that question. He says one day he will send his servants to, produce, to receive the fruit in its, in its due season. And folks, right now is in a due season. And folks, just as it is in the parable of the talents, you can hide yours and you can dig yours in the sand and you can make every excuse in the book. But if you are not gathering yours with interest, with usury, then you not even gonna, might as well not have it at all. The point of the garden is to grow. The point of a garden is to grow. What is the point of a garden if it does not grow? What is the point of your spiritual life, your relationship with Jesus Christ, if it's not growing? If it's not producing something? And I truly believe if God's called you to something and you're not going to do it, He says, that which He will give, He'll take away and give it to someone else. Use what God has given you to produce it. Because listen, if you're not going to, He's going to find someone that will. And what he's given you is given to no one else. Your garden is unique. And my garden is unique. And we need to make sure every single day we are not ignoring and neglecting the greatest thing we have. And that's our relationship with Jesus Christ. He is the tree of life. He is that very thing that causes our garden to grow and to increase. Remember Paul said, I planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. 
He's the one that can do it tonight. I'm going to ask Larry if he could and Sonny come up and just try to find us. A, uh, just a, I just feel led to give an invitation tonight. Just tell you this. I want to pray for your garden tonight. I want to pray for your garden tonight. Of all the things we pray for, we need to pray for our gardens. That they may grow in season and out of season. As Larry comes. <laughs>